This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the special network premiere of Seymour Krellborn's Gardening Tips, the first weekly gardening show on network television, hosted by the most talked about plant scientist in the country, Seymour Krellborn. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Earth Day on Pod Cemetery with our classic film 1986's Little Shop of Horrors and our modern film 2008's The Happening. Mm -hmm. Both, I would argue, plays on B-movie horror from the 50s. Yes. One explicitly so, Mm -hmm. and the other... I understand that people doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get right into our first film, 1986's Little Shop of Horrors, directed by Frank Oz, just an incredible man, Frank Oz, Mm -hmm. and written by Howard Ashman based on his own musical play that he based on the 1960 film by Roger Corman and written by Charles B. Griffith. The music was also written by Alan Menken. Now, if that name Alan Menken sounds familiar to you... Which it should. Kelsey, what do we know Alan Menken... When you think of Alan Menken, what do you think of? I, of course, think of The Little Mermaid and Uh Aladdin Mm -hmm. and Beauty and the Beast. Yes, he also did Pocahontas and Hunchback of Notre Dame and Hercules and Tangled. Hercules, absolutely. Earlier, I wanted to mention that this felt like... Oh, yes. So, yes, Hercules is totally ripping off this style. That's what they're doing. They do a Greek chorus Mm -hmm. because, of course, they do. (laughs) It's Hercules. (laughs) But it's absolutely a throwback to what he did in his very first film music credit here with Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. Did he write the play or no? The musical? Yes. The live stage musical? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's so he wrote awesome. that, which got him this, which then spun off into everything that's else. That's what turned into yes. Alan Menken owning the 90s for Disney. Yes. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Well, good. Yeah, right. Totally. As it should. <laughs> yeah, as it should have. Uh, he also wrote a few things for uh, Sesame Street, which Frank Oz, Sesame Street, after this. So I guess they worked together here and then maybe... You know, he turned that around into something else uh, with that. I would also like to mention that there is something, and I'm not able to think of it at the moment, and I apparently did not write it down because I thought it would just be in my mind, and it's not. There is something in this that is quintessentially Little Mermaid, but I just never connected that he did both of these movies. Part of your world and somewhere that's green are kind of the same song. (laughs) Yes. Something else, and I just can't think of what it is. He also is responsible for composing Star Spangled Man for Captain America. For you know, from the very first movie that they've used quite a bit, you know, where he's a 
propaganda piece yes. and they have a song for him, Star Spangled Man, that he he conducted that. Did he write He composed it. Did he write the song that they sing in uh the musical about the Avengers that we see? He did not. He just did the music for Star Spangled Man. Oh. Yeah, that's it. What's the line? I could do this all day. Yes. <laughs> that is a really good musical ripoff. Song. Yes, totally. Absolutely. Uh, oh, and yes, he wrote the songs in Newsies. Oh, right. Yes, Forgot Newsies. about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Movie stars Rick Moranis, Ellen Green, Vincent Gardenia, and Levi Stubbs. Uh, along with a lot of cameos. Kelsey, what is Little Shop of Horrors about? A loser that works in a plant shop in on Skid Row uh, makes it big with a plant that grows enormous, but how and why it grows enormous, he doesn't understand until it's too late. The movie is available if you are a subscriber to HBO Max, or you can rent it for $4.00. Or buy it for up to 17 but as little as $8. Kelsey, should people... You're ready to have your minds blown, folks. Should people watch Little Shop of Horrors? 100% yes. Yes. <laughs> of course yes. Absolutely yes. Now, why? It is so, so good. It is one of my favorite movies. It is so much fun and silly and cute and heartwarming and ridiculous and if you love 50s 60s stuff you're gonna love it Mm -hmm. we got to do one of those midnight uh theater showings in la where they actually put the original ending up on the big screen which was really cool um we sort of love this movie and for good reason i think it's funny it's charming Uh, The music is incredible, and it keeps the pace going throughout. I will say it, it, that pace does sort of drag a little as it goes into the, like, second to last act or so. But generally speaking, these songs just come one right after the other, and they're they keep that pace up. So it's entertaining the whole entire time. And it's different. It's different riffs on different uh, famous styles from the fifties doo-wop. And it's, it's great. And yes, so much fun. So if you haven't seen little shop of horrors, then you need to. And if you have, then you know, you should watch it again, (laughs) I guess is effectively what we're saying here. Shout outs to Jeffrey for recommending this one. Your name just keeps coming up, man. Thank you for all the great recommendations that you gave us. Quite a while ago, and we're just getting to now. So thank you very much, yes, and keep those recommendations coming in. And yeah, excellent choices. Yes, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1986's Little Shop of Horrors. Now, the most menacing musical comedy ever to paint the silver screen. Green Little Shop of Horrors. Where did you get such a weird plan? Thrill to the romance. Will you marry me? Witness the drama. You'll be a You have a talent for causing pain. I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. Feed me, Crawford! Feed me now! Savor the spectacle of the first plant in motion picture history ever to sing for its supper. Starring Rick Moranis, Ellen Green, Vincent Gardenia, with a special appearance by Steve Martin. 
James Belushi, John Candy, Comfy, and Bill Murray. It's your professionalism that I respect. Little Shop of Horrors. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Little Shop of Horrors begin? With narration that is different from the soundtrack. You mentioned just like Nightmare Before Christmas. Just like Nightmare Before Christmas. For some reason, I assume they did the soundtrack first and then made the change later. Yeah. There are songs that are in the soundtrack that are not in the movie. Yes. And some of the songs are much longer on the soundtrack Uh than they are in the film. Yeah. I had the soundtrack. I had the CD. Uh And I would listen to it all the time. And I saw this way before I ever saw the live stage show. And I guess I saw this first. I like mm-hmm. this better. Mm-hmm. But anyway, this narration explains that it's telling you that, you know, something is going to happen. This terrible thing is going to happen. It's like an old sci-fi B-movie narration. The human race suddenly encountered a deadly threat to its very existence. And this terrifying enemy surfaced as such enemies often do. Seemingly most innocent and the most and unlikely of places. Yes. Uh-huh. And then the music starts. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yes. I just love the music. This is this the song. Little Shop of Horrors prologue mm-hmm. performed by the character names are Chiffon, Ronette, and Crystal. Obviously references to old sort of like doo-wop women. Well, all three were yeah. girl groups from yes. the 50s and 60s. Exactly. And these actresses are Tashina Arnold. Tisha Campbell and Michelle Weeks. Arnold and Campbell hilariously ended up playing together in Martin. The TV show Martin. 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 Yeah, Tisha Campbell was... I don't know what that is. Oh my god! How did you grow up in the 90s and not know what Martin was? Okay, you didn't watch any, like, UPN then, did you? I don't know what I that see. is. Oh my god! <laughs> okay. All right. No, I watched a lot of like Fox and UPN and stuff like that, which was the sort of the channels that your parents didn't want you to watch when you were a young white kid growing up in the suburbs. (laughs) (laughs) But in any case, I had the hugest crush on Tisha Campbell growing up. I thought she was the greatest. Oh, how funny. Loved her so much. And yeah, here she is. She's one of the uh, Greek chorus that we have effectively playing throughout this entire show. Yes. The music is fun and poppy and light Uh at all times, no matter what is happening on stage. And that's what keeps it fun. Uh Uh-huh. As we go, I mean, basically right into our second song or the first real full song, Skid Row or Downtown. amazing whoever this singer is she's stellar this is bertice redding who only did a couple movies but she was a stage actress that she tony nominated from 1959 apparently well she has an incredible voice Mm -hmm. i've always thought so and yeah they're just explaining that they live on skid row and how their lives are shit all while being fun and lighthearted and yes, silly uh-huh. and joyous. 
and it's wonderful. Like this is exactly what I yeah, like just happy and joyous and terrible and tragic well, I all mean, at the same time is exactly what I'm looking for. Does it surprise you that this is a movie made by Frank Oz, right? So Frank Oz, obviously famous puppeteer. He's Miss Piggy. He's Yoda. Does it surprise you that we are in like Skid Row, like kind of like Sesame Street is in like a downtown sort of area like you know a place where you would not expect a children's show to be located but they felt it was really important when they made the show and now here we have Frank Oz making another movie in sort of a similar setting of like this is real life for a whole lot of people you know we have homeless men living on the street singing downtown yeah so so who do we meet in Skid Row parentheses downtown who are our primary characters we're going to be working with for the rest of this movie? Seymour Krellborn, played brilliantly. 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 By Rick Moranis. God, I love Rick Moranis. Why, why did you quit acting? He was done. Taking care of his kids. I understand. His wife died. He was just done. Just. Wasn't for him. Just love him in this movie. Uh-huh. So, so, so Perfect. much. Perfect. Anyway. We meet Seymour, and then we meet Audrey, and there were only two parts I ever wanted to be able to play as a child that made me think about singing. <laughs> two parts. Yeah. This and Christine. Christine Daae? Yes. From Phantom, yes. Sure, Kels. <laughs> Christine. Dream big. <laughs> Christine and... Audrey are the only two characters I ever wanted to be able to sing, to be able to play, and it just, it wasn't gonna happen. Yeah. I had to let that dream go. But anyway, she also does a brilliant job. This is Ellen Green. She was the one who played Audrey on the stage production, and is the only one, but they needed somebody to fill in. Somebody, uh, they had, who was it? They cast somebody Didn't and you say Cindy Lauper. It was Cindy Lauper. That was it. You're right. Yeah. So Cindy Lauper. I see why was going to be the character. I see what they were going for. And then they couldn't get her because of scheduling conflicts. So they went back to the original actress and said, "Do you want to be in the movie?" Of course she did. So yeah. Well, I, as much as I love Cindy Lauper, like I can't imagine anyone else playing this part. Yeah, I can't imagine Cindy Lauper's energy in this role. Mm-hmm. But so, we then get to, at the end of the song, we see that he works in a plant shop, and Audrey tells his boss, who is not very nice to him, Mushnik, who's not very nice to him, but also at the same time kind of nice to him, takes care of him for whatever reason, uh and she tells Mushnik, he's got this new, strange, and exciting plant. Why don't you bring it up and show him? So he does. He goes and he gets Audrey, too. And I love when he says the name. I love her squeak. I gave it my own name, though. I call it an Audrey, too. After me? I hope you don't mind. Oh, yes. Uh huh. After me? After me? Yeah. If you don't mind. <laughs> and then she just squeaks. Like, she doesn't even move. Her <laughs> body just makes that noise. It's so good. It's very good. But so... <laughs> 
they put it in the window, and Mushnik's like, even if it's this awesome plant, what do you think's gonna happen? And then immediately in walks Christopher Guest. Christopher Guest is the first customer who comes in and immediately asks about the plant. I do want to mention, though, because we are a horror movie podcast, there is a moment in downtown where Seymour is walking down an alley towards a chain link fence, and there are homeless people on the other side of the fence with their hands on it, uh, singing along, but it is very evocative of zombie imagery. Dawn of the Dead, Uh very much so. But that's funny, because I don't think that's what they're actually going for. I think it definitely is. Really? Yes. I, I think, think they're going for a Night of the Living Dead. I thought that they were going for, like, just because in that part, Seymour is singing, show me a way and I will I'll get out of here. Uh-huh. And he's seeing this tidal wave. And I know that now we think of that as zombies, but we, we weren't really thinking that at the time. But anyway, it just it felt like, you know, this mounting just you're never going to get out of Skid Row. Right, totally. But I think it it intentionally borrows that zombie visual. I mean, because we're talking about, you know, a movie from the era of Night of the Living Dead, you know, a little bit beforehand. And they're remaking it in the 80s when Dawn and Day are happening. Like, I don't think it's abnormal that they would throw this imagery in. But anyway, yes, Christopher Guest is the first customer to ask, and he is perfect, over the top, just excellent delivery. If you don't recognize Christopher Guest, he is the six-fingered band from Princess Bride. Evil guy. Yes, Count Rugen, and... Directs all the great... They're, they're called Christopher Guest movies, even though his probably most famous famous, most prolific version is This Is Spinal Tap, which he did not direct, but he'd start in. Which is the worst of them all. Oh, God, Kelsey, you have terrible taste. Um, but <laughs> Best yes. in Show is incredible. Best in Show, Waiting for Guffman, which is about local theater, which I'm really surprised you're not totally into. <laughs> a Mighty Wind, just like a bunch of like mockumentaries. So he asks about it, and they sing the song, which is probably my least favorite of the whole soundtrack. Dadu. Yeah. Uh, uh, the one where he, he, where he explains where he got it. Can you tell that story, Kelsey? Where did he get Audrey to? He got it from Chang's. Just an exotic plant dealer an that he goes to. After an eclipse happens. And there's like a lightning bolt that hits the table. And all of a sudden there's this new plant there that he hadn't that seen before. That was there before. He's like, but the old Chinese man sold it to me anyway. <laughs> for a dollar I'm like, dude, how much money do you have? <laughs> it's supposed to be like the 60s. It is definitely a time period piece. Yeah, I'd yeah. say like late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. yeah, it's probably the same time period as the original film. Which, by the way, guys, I know we didn't watch it, but it's very good and you should. Yeah, if you, you probably know Jack Nicholson is in it. Yeah. Famously, I think it was his first movie role. Yeah, but... Like, I want to say... Barely in it? Well, he's Bill Murray's role of the dental... Patient. Trying to remember. It's been a while since I've seen it, and I've only seen it once, but mm-hmm. I remember thinking it wasn't that big of a role. But anyway. It's not. <laughs> oh, Christopher Guest, after the song is over, <laughs> he's like. Can you break a hundred? Yeah, I guess I'll get $50 worth of roses. And they're like, okay. And he's like, can you break a hundred? And they're like, no. Well, I guess I'll have to buy a hundred dollars worth of roses. <laughs> so good. And then everyone keeps coming in. Like, immediately, it is over the top and ridiculous but it's necessary for the plot. You could just see this happening on stage. 
Like, that's what ex- I think excites me about this. I've never seen a stage production of this. I could see every last little bit of this happening on stage and all the fun, magical ways they make it happen. Mm-hmm. But so that night, Mushnick is like, I'll take us all out to celebrate. But Audrey says she can't because she has a date. Has she already had the black eye at this point? Is it at the very beginning that she yeah, has it? Yeah, she constantly has injuries or, you know, obviously that she's being very abused. Very obviously that she's, yeah, she's being abused. Yes. But so, she's making excuses for him, et cetera. And Mushnick is always saying, "This I'm starting to think this is not so good a boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, so then Krellborn, Seymour, is like, well, are we going to go out? And, he's, and then Mushnick sees that the plant is not doing well. And Curlborn explains, yeah, I haven't been able to get it to thrive. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. So that night, he's going to sing a song about uh, trying to get it to eat. I've, I've given, given you sunshine. Sunlight. Yeah. I've given, you, I've rain. given you rain. Looks like you're not happy. Unless like I open a vein. And that's when he yeah. realizes that Audrey will thrive if he feeds it blood. Because he pricks his finger mm. on a thorn on a rose. At the end of the song, he leaves and he leaves Audrey there and you get this weird sensation that it's growing and it looks almost like it's stop motion, but it's not. All of that is done in camera. They have the pot with the plant in it on a track that they're pushing directly towards the camera so it looks like it's growing but it's going at the perfect angle to where it doesn't look like it's moving. Are you it's, serious? Yeah, it's a, a forced perspective trick, but in motion. I thought it was just a thing that was being pushed up, no? Well, no, yeah, they are having, like, the leaves unfurl and all of that, but it is physically growing. Huh. Like, the bulb is getting bigger, not just extending out of the pot. So all that's happening, too, while it's moving closer to the camera to give it this image like there's a hole cut in the table behind it but you can't see that because of where the camera's positioned so yeah it's like i say love the magic tricks i mean it's frank oz he's a puppeteer for a living so he's gonna come up with fun ways to make things work on camera so that's grow for me and remember we're getting chiffon renette and crystal as our chorus throughout this entire movie Yes, who are also just stellar singers. Mm-hmm. They really do carry the show. I mean, as much as Seymour and as important as Seymour and Audrey and, of course, the plant are, if you don't have a good... If your chorus girls aren't good... Yeah, your great chorus. chorus. Yeah. Uh-huh. If that's not good, the whole show will crumble. Yeah, they have to carry you throughout, and they're in the whole damn thing. They need to be the bridge between the audience and the show, and you're going to get a lot of them, so they better be good at what they do. Mm-hmm. So, because the plant is growing and thriving, Seymour becomes more famous. He winds up on Skid Row Radio with John Candy. Yes. And that helps him become more and more famous, and the plant, the shop is becoming more and more successful. But yes, everyone is noticing that Audrey has all these injuries, including Ronette, Chiffon, and Crystal, who do have some lines and they do remark on it, you know. Yeah, because they are they they are also playing characters in this production that live in Skid Row as well. So you'll see them when they're playing real people, you know, they're dressed down and they look poor 
And then when a song starts up and they're the chorus again, they've changed into elegant gowns and stuff like that. Yeah, and 60s girl group yeah. dresses mm-hmm. with their big hair and their... Yeah. yeah. But so, they tell Audrey that she's got low self-image. You know, you mm-hmm. you deserve better, as does Mushnik, as does Seymour. But she's like, I don't deserve a guy like Seymour. And this is when we get my favorite song of the entire show. Somewhere That's Green. Somewhere That's Green. It is just Jeff's Kiss Perfect. It's so funny. It is probably my least favorite song. Yeah. Are you serious? this, This feels like a nightmare scenario where I I guess it's just because I have a penis, but the solo, sad, slow song by the female lead is the least interesting to me. I don't think it's sad. I think it's hilarious. And sure, that is why it is. I absolutely love it. It is, because she wants somewhere that's green, but it's all like this sort of manufactured 60s modern, like the aluminum Christmas trees in Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. <laughs> yes, with um, plastic on the furniture. Yes, uh-huh. Like that's something to aspire to. Yes. A chain, offensive real chain link. A real chain link, yeah. That's funny. You're right. You know what? The content is good, yes. But it's, like I say, it's probably the one I least, like, resonated with. I just, I love, I love, love, love that she is very aware of of her situation. And that is what she dreams of, you know? It's yeah. not to be rich and famous and have tons of luxury. She just uh-huh. wants this most basic suburban like life that most women and felt that trapped would be by. Fancy. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that d- while she's doing the song, they go into her imagination and they show you what she's seeing. And there's this one part where she just goes like this, and she's looking at something like it's this most incredible, the most incredible thing she's ever seen, and it's a toaster. Like I love it. <laughs> it's so good, and this would be difficult to do live. I don't remember how they did it. Well, this is also the set that we're going to come back to at the end of the movie, which very famously they had to reshoot. Because test screenings went terribly with the original ending. And I and get so, why. Yeah, I so do I. I don't get why. I, I really enjoyed watching the original ending. It's a fun ending. The big, it is very fun. I totally get why people would be pissed off at that ending. Yes. For a, for a movie, we're not even there yet. We'll tell you what it is. For a movie that is so lighthearted and fun, yes, it is grim. Right? Like, where people are dying and things like that. Yes, absolutely. But it's a... Happy horror, right? It it's it's not something that should it. end with the destruction of Earth. Mm-hmm. So yes, I understand why people didn't like the original ending, but they had to refilm a new ending where they couldn't get Tisha Campbell, so you conveniently don't see the face of the third chorus member. But where yes, you get to see this house again, the green somewhere that's green. Mm-hmm. They end up together there. It's very cute. Spoilers. <laughs> But the problem is, is that the at this point, the only way Seymour thinks he can take care of this problem is by feeding Audrey with his own blood. Yes. And this is when we get some fun now. I love this song. Uh-huh. But anyway, and they show you that like he's using his fingers and it's like you can't do that too much. Right. Which is why later on he's going to plead when... 
Audrey is begging sort of thing. You know, he's like, just give me a day or two so I can, like, refresh. My body can make more blood. But yes, he is draining himself in order to keep Audrey 2 alive because everyone is counting on him and it's the only thing that's making him somebody mm-hmm. in his eyes. Yes. But this is getting him more attention from Audrey. They're having more conversations because they kind of have to because they're doing more business. Well, yeah, he forgets to deliver a funeral arrangement. arrangement, And oh my God, it's my favorite visual gag in the entire movie. (laughs) Audrey says she'll make the arrangement. Hand me the lilies. Hand me the lilies. She puts four lilies in a vase. It's more than four. <laughs> no, I think it's four. I think it's more. I think it's only four lilies, nothing else, glue and glitter, and that is it. <laughs> With a black ribbon uh-huh. right around them. Like, I mean, yes, I understand the point is, is that everyone wants to shop there because the commercial success of the place, not because the product they actually make and sell is any good. And it's, you know, a commentary on commercialism or whatever, but it's also really fucking funny and just a sight gag. You know, if you're not looking at that, then you don't get to experience the joke. But if you are, it's a lot of fun. Yes. But so while they're talking, she's she's telling him, you know, you should do something nice for yourself. Why don't you go buy some new clothes? And he's like, I don't know how to do that. Could you show me? And she's like, sure. Really? You'd go out in public with me? Sure. You want to go <laughs> dancing with me? Sure. But then he says, tonight, she goes, I can't. I've got I a date. date. And that is when we meet... Oren Scrivello DDS, played by Steve Martin... Dr. Scrivello. This is Oren, Audrey's boyfriend, who is a... Motorcycle-riding dentist. Sadistic, masochistic. When I was younger, just compared to year, my mama noticed funny things I did. Like shooting puppies with a BB gun. I'd poison guppies when I was done. I'd find a pussycat bashed its hair. Gets off the motorcycle. Uh-huh. Motorcycle. Oh, it stops. parks itself. It's so good. And the girls go. What did she say? I love the girls uh-huh. in this song. I love the girls in the song. They are my favorite part. And of course, of course, it's Steve Martin being brilliant. Like there's just uh-huh. brilliance on the screen. Yes. The entire movie, and you can tell that like none of them took it seriously. All of them were having fun. It's like 80s comedy royalty in this movie. And it is just perfection. Yeah. Like, I don't know that I would change anything. Because it is so, so, so good. (laughs) So, 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 so good. (laughs) Uh, But there's a part where I always love this part. When he's, they're describing who he is. And they go... But what I really like about that part is they're lifting it. He's a rebel and he'll never ever be any good. Or however it goes. Yeah. They're lifting it from an actual (laughs) 60s song. Yeah. Not just embarking on the spirit. Uh huh. Anyway, so he comes to pick Audrey up, and I love his like greaser Elvis voice mm-hmm. that he yes. does. He's he's get, being introduced to Seymour and the plant, and I just love it. What do you call that thing? Audrey too? Cute name. It's catchy. 
Nice plan. Big. Yeah, like, I just love the way he talks to himself. It's uh, great. It doesn't even fucking occur to him, at least not in this moment, that he named the plant after Oren's girlfriend. Because she doesn't mean anything to him. Exactly. But he does comment, oh, cute name, you know, yeah. But, like, it doesn't occur that, do you have a crush on my girlfriend? Exactly. <laughs> Means nothing to him. They leave. They go off on their date. And Seymour's like, boo-hoo. And he's going to go and be sad in his room when Audrey, too, falls to the ground. It's really big at this point. Enormous at this yeah, point. But the biggest Slams to be. the ground. No, no, it gets bigger. Oh, it does. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, well, it falls to the ground. And he's like, oh, Tui, I can't. I got You got to give me time to heal. And that's when we get the voice of Audrey 2 singing, feed me, get it. Feed me Seymour. Yes. This is Levi Stubbs from The Four Tops. Interestingly, also did the voice of Mother Brain in the Captain N cartoon, which was a Nintendo cartoon with a bunch of Nintendo characters from Castlevania and Metroid and, and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, and he played Mother Brain in a way that is basically just Audrey 2. I will be the most beautiful woman in video land! And you, Eggplant Wizard, are going to help me do it! So supposed to be a play on his original role in this, but just iconic. Cannot imagine anyone else <laughs> playing this part. It is a, an incredible voice. Very, very good. Uh, feed me, Krellborn. Feed me now. And he's just like, well, I don't know what you want me to do. And he's like, must be blood. Must be fresh. <laughs> it's very good. Um, and he's like, that's disgusting. And he goes, I'll make it worth your while. And he's like, what do you mean? And so his song is explaining all the things he can do for yeah, him. Uh -huh. Do you, you think, think this is all coincidence, baby? But, of course... Seymour is like, no way, I could never do that. And that is when... Oren. Dr. Oren Scrivello DDS. Is going to show up and he's going to hit Audrey in front of him. So, I mean, they're across the street behind a yeah, shade, uh -huh. but you can see and you can hear that he's hitting her. So that's when... I need blood, he's got more than enough. I need blood, he's got more than enough. That's when he decides, I'm going to kill the doctor. And give him to Audrey, too. But he doesn't. He doesn't kill the doctor. Right. He doesn't kill anybody. Right. They need him to remain sympathetic. That was one of the reasons why they had such a downer original ending, is the idea was we can't have him killing people and just get away scot-free. So you'll notice that throughout... The two people that Audrey 2 will eat in this movie will have died some other way that is not Seymour's fault. Well, at least not directly. He doesn't murder them. Not directly. He but. might be responsible <laughs> for manslaughter. <laughs> but before he gets a chance to kill uh, the dentist... Bill Murray has a scene where Oh yeah, we haven't talked about that. Steve Martin is a sadist mm -hmm. while Bill Murray is a masochist. And 
what's interesting about this is that that will totally turn the dentist off. Oh yeah, uh huh. He doesn't. He like- loves being a dentist because he causes people pain. That's his kink, and that's why he's abusive to Audrey as well. But yes, as soon as one of his patients is into yeah. it, he doesn't like it anymore. Uh-huh. He, he's like he thinks he's a sicko. Yeah, <laughs> there's something wrong with him if he enjoys this. Yes, goddamn sicko. And it's Bill Murray is just fantastic, and he's in the movie for like two minutes. That's what I'm saying. It's just comedy gold. Yeah, every single person is comedy gold here. Totally. But he puts on his special gas mask. We haven't talked about that. He's addicted to gas, laughing gas, which is does not do what they say it does. No, it does not cause you to feel that way. As far as I know. Well, you know, you can laugh, totally. Oh, you do? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Well, it's because you're high, but generally it knocks you out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so he loves to get high off of it. Nitrous oxide, right? Mm -hmm. And he has this special gas mask that he has on. So because Seymour shows up and Seymour is very obviously afraid of him, that makes Steve Martin happy because he was just dealing with Bill Murray. Yeah. So he brings him in. Oh, I'm going to torture you is his idea. The things I'm going to do to that mouth. (laughs) (laughs) This could happen to you. And he shows like, it gets like a bass mouth. It's like, yeah, it's a a mouth of an animal. Yeah. (laughs) It's fantastic. I love later when he has the gas mask on, he turns it on and he laughs at it. It's so, so good. But the point is he has this contraption on and he tries to turn it off. And the valve breaks. After Seymour has already taken the gun out. pulled a gun on it. And that's important because I love Steve Martin's line. Oh, man, give me a hand with this. No, I guess you wouldn't. And he starts (laughs) laughing about it because he's so high. I love this. But eventually he collapses. Because he can't breathe. dies, yes. Mm -hmm. So that gives Seymour the opportunity to... Chop him up into pieces. So while it was Seymour's plan to shoot him, he didn't. The Uh guy died from his own mask. Yes. His own negligence killed himself. But yes, it was because Seymour pulled a fucking gun on him. And he did fully intend to murder him. (laughs) But they got to keep him abstracted from the murder at least one degree, right? So they do. But while he's chopping up this body, which he really hesitates to do, he doesn't even want to do that, even though he didn't kill the guy. Mushnik comes by the shop and sort of catches him in the alley. Catches him chopping up the body because Audrey requires that. Yes, and assumed that means he killed him as well. He might as well have, yes. But he doesn't understand the whole picture. Oh, I also love right before he dies. He goes, what did I ever do to you? And Seymour goes, it's not what you did to me. It's what you did to her. And he goes, her who? (laughs) Oh. Oh. (laughs) Her. (laughs) So this is a long time between songs we have here, by the way. Did you notice? We got a lot of content, but this is is probably a big stretch where it's like the movie feels like it's slowing down now because it's focusing too much on the plot and not enough on... The, the songs the that songs. were keeping it moving, keeping, yes. it, keeping it poppy. I still love it because I think it's still hilarious. Oh, it is, yes. But yes, it does slow down a little bit. I agree. But so the next day, Audrey will find out that the guy is dead and she looks really distraught. So Seymour goes to try to cheer her up and he's like, did you really like him all that yeah, much anyway? Wouldn't you you wanted to break up with him, but you felt like you couldn't because of what he might do. If this is what he did when you're together, imagine what he would do if I broke up with him, basically. And she realizes, 
Oh, shit, you're right. No. She says, I'm not sad. I'm not sad that he's dead. I'm upset because I wanted him to die. Yes. And so I feel kind of responsible. You're right, but she comes to that distinction that, oh, yeah, no, I did want him to die. And so that's when Seymour says... You don't need him anymore. You don't need your makeup. You don't need anything because suddenly Seymour is standing beside you. (laughs) Yes, it's a really, really sweet song and And, really funny at the same time. And Audrey gets to belt in this song, too. You know, she gets that really desperate, emotional, but comedic tone. I don't know how she did that. I don't know how she kept that voice Well, she's voice a up. stage singer. Like, I it's guess. what she does. Yeah. You know? Keeping that voice, but also singing deeply. I don't yeah. know how she did the two, but she somehow managed Most it. people fail. <laughs> Especially when it's like people putting on like a, a an accent or something that they don't normally do, and then they start singing and they just lose the accent entirely. Interestingly, a lot of times British people sing with an accent. No, I was going to say the opposite. That's my point. They sing with an American accent. We don't hear it. It's like, wait a minute. Why is it that you speak this way and you sing this other way? It's because they're actually putting on an accent when they sing. How interesting. You don't give me your eyes. You don't come to Suddenly, is here to provide me. So at the end of Suddenly Seymour, they kiss. Seymour goes back to the plant shop feeling fabulous where he meets Mushnik. And Mushnik has a gun and he's like, I'm going to take you to the cops. He assumes that since Seymour has had a crush on Audrey this entire time, he finally snapped and killed the dentist. I didn't so know he could the be with Audrey. to which you would plunge or whatever he says. Yeah. I do. you lay down here on your pathetic little cot and dreamed about her. But I didn't know the lengths to which you'd go. The depths to which you'd sink. This is when another one of my favorite songs comes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Supper time. It's so good. And it's such a short little song. We get two of them. It's every time that Audrey 2 is threatening to kill and eat somebody. Mm-hmm. Come, come, come. Think about all those offers. Your future with Andre. It's so good. Uh-huh. I love it. And I love the come on, come ons. I love the it's supper time. Yeah, it's so sinister. Yes. Supper time. <laughs> I really like the way that they filmed it. There's yeah. a lot of handwork with the with the girls, with Ronette Chiffon and Crystal, with their gloved hands. Mm-hmm. It's really good. And yes, very sinister. I, I really like the song. So the idea at this moment is that Mushnik basically says, I'm going to turn you into the police because you killed the dentist. Or how about you just leave town and never come back? Leave the money-making plant with me. Mm-hmm. Just tell me how to take care of it. <laughs> and Seymour's like, uh, uh. And as he starts to back away, Mushnik starts to back away from Seymour. Because Seymour's walking towards him. Uh-huh. He backs into Audrey too, who... Swallows him. <laughs> yes. 
And so it's basically his fault, but yes. he does not Again, actually kill he him. he needs to be abstracted at least one degree. Mm-hmm. Yes. But so the next day, he's not exactly feeling great, but this is when another one of my favorite songs, uh, I, I love all the music. I don't yes, know why I call so them favorite good. songs, but the Meek Shaw hair comes on. I'm really disappointed that the song is cut short in this movie because I really uh-huh. like this song. Mine. The first weekly gardening show on a network. And you're gonna host it, you lucky kids. They say the meek shall inherit. You know the book doesn't lie. But anyway, he's getting all these offers and he's gonna make all this money and he's feeling super, super guilty. And he eventually just shoves everyone out the door and says, no, I'm not gonna do this. Mm-hmm. And that's when... Audrey is like, we can get the money tomorrow. And he's like, if we get the money, then we can leave. We can run away. We can get away from here as quick as possible. And this is when one of the Belushi brothers will show up. Jim Belushi. And he will give him the offer of little leaflet, little leaflets. Or what yeah, they, they, um, they make leaf cuttings. Snippings. Yeah, and so they can leaf make cuts. more. Yeah, so they can propagate. Put one in every home in America. And that's when Seymour finally realizes this was the plant's idea from the get-go. Uh-huh. I've and been he had. cannot let this happen. He cannot let it happen. He asks Audrey to marry him, though, and she goes to get ready. And this is when... We get supper time number two, because she'll go back to the plant shop. Mm-hmm. And because Audrey too is going to call her up on the phone. Oh, he can it's he so can now good. use his stems to his move tentacles. Things. Yeah, uh huh. I don't know how. Like, no, I love it. It's so good, and it's not even it's not even a play. Uh, like he's not trying to fool anybody. I just mean that if you destroy the bulb like it just feels like a plant would be so easy to kill (laughs) but not now that it's ambulating or it's especially going to be ambulating in a little bit here but at least it's reaching out it's able to interact with things gets on the phone with audrey and is like you better come over here that's right threatens and then like who is this and it's me and then she looks out the window and he's just waving to her from (laughs) across the street it's so good then he hangs up the payphone and checks the coin slot now yes you younger folks just won't like this. It's a weird sort of thing that's innate in people. When you use a payphone, <laughs> you put money in, you make your call, you hang up, you always check that coin slot for whatever reason. You're not going to get your money back, but you always check it. Maybe somebody else did. Exactly. And they, and they left it yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Always. So you always. But everyone always checks. So nobody's leaving coins in the slot. You never found coins but that it, way? Yes, yes I, I have. Did. Yeah. <laughs> But the plant does it. And I love that moment. It's so good. (laughs) But yes, Audrey comes over. We get supper time too. And he swallows her. Well, he's trying to. to, But she is in his mouth with her legs hanging out when Seymour shows up. Mm -hmm. So is this when we get? Yeah, this must be when we get his song, finally. So yeah, so this this is actually a little bit out of order. Uh, What happens is first, they decide they're going to get married and get out of there. She gets the call from Audrey, too, uh, begging her to come over and give him water. She does, at which point he tries to eat her. Seymour saves her and they get out. That's when Jim Belushi comes along and offers to make trimming so they can market it and sell it and get big. And he's like, no, like you say, realizes that this was Audrey 2's plan the entire time and he needs to destroy it. So he goes back in to destroy the plant. This is where we get 
Mean Green Mother from Outer Space. I'm just a mean green mother from outer space and I'm gay. I'm just a mean green mother from outer space and it looks like you've been had. I'm just a mean green mother from outer space so get off my back get off my face cause I'm mean and green and I am gay. Now this song was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song. No shit. So it's not in... It's not in the stage production. Oh. It is original for the movie. See, you guys are probably all thinking, haven't you seen it? I saw it once Uh when I was 16 years old. Yeah. (laughs) This is a long time ago. Um, Almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. It was also nominated for Best Visual Effects. Uh, It didn't win either one of them. That's so sad. I know, yeah. What won Best Original Song that year? What one over Mean Green Mother? I'm a mean green mother from out out of space space. and I'm bad. (laughs) Nominated for Best Original Song that year were Somewhere Out There. Somewhere out there there beneath the pale (laughs) This is from American Tale. Life in a Looking Glass from That's Life, and Glory of Love from The Karate Kid Part 2, and the actual winner, Take My Breath Away from Top Gun. Ow. I mean, come on. Come on. Giorgio. Giorgio Moroder did that song. I had a student named Berlin. Named after oh, yeah, uh-huh. Who did the song, yes. <laughs> down, 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 down. That's Giorgio Moroder. Down, down. He is a living legend. <laughs> anyway, that one, Mean Green Mother, did not win. It was, however, the first nominated song to have a curse word in it. And you, as you know, every nominated song gets played on the television broadcast. So they had to change the lyrics a little bit. But it's only part of the song. Yes. Yeah, so tough titty. You don't know what you're dealing with. No, you never did. You don't know what you're looking at. The best tough titty, kid. And saying that the creature from the Black Lagoon ain't shit. You know, I don't come from no Black Lagoon. I'm from past the stars and beyond the moon. You can keep the thing, keep the it, keep the creature. They don't mean shit. Are both in the song, which don't get played in the Oscars version, obviously. But it's the first time they've ever had to do that. Because no Oscar-nominated song has had cursing in it. Probably the big song that everyone knows from this, I would say right alongside Suddenly Seymour. Like the big, big numbers from this. And then there's Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop, Little Shop of Horrors. It's just every song in this is so good. Every song is so good. (laughs) Every single song. Except for, I'm not crazy about... I, I really like it. It's so much fun. You know what it reminds me of is it reminds me of the homecoming queen's got a gun. Feels like that. 
But anyway, what is important about this song is that during the song... He's going to break some stuff, including some electrical wiring. Right, but he has a gun, which he's oh, holding yeah. with one of his tendrils. Yeah. And, and he has new pods that have formed with their own mouths, and they're doing backup. If you've ever been on the Nightmare Before Christmas version of oh, yeah. uh-huh. Haunted Mansion, for whatever reason... Audrey, too, is basically in it it's, with its, it's little the reef, babies. The reef that's that's uh, the, that's living and has the teeth and everything has a bunch of tendril arms, and it has those pods at one point. And, and yeah, it's very uh, much like this. Yes, abs- it's supposed to be, obviously, right? But yes, it even breaks out of its pot and starts being able to move around, and it destroys Mushnik's store. You think Seymour's dead. But Seymour goes like this, and he's got the wiring, and he puts it to one of its tendrils, and that's when Audrey 2 will be electrocuted and then explode. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Which is the new ending. That wasn't the original ending, but well, let's just wrap this up here. We also get a little Shop of Horrors sort of medley over the end credits, because we get to see them go to their somewhere that's green. Back and to we that see set. That there's a little baby plant there. Growing now? in the garden out front. Yes. It's just supposed to be something like a little wink ending. But in the original ending, they both get eaten. And the trimmings do happen and they're sold to every home. And they eventually get all get big and then they take over the earth. And they destroy the Golden Gate Bridge? Is that what it is? I thought it was Manhattan. I Maybe. Thought it was like, it, oh, yeah, it well, would like, be. Kind of like King Kong. It would, yes. Uh-huh. Or not King Kong. Trying to remember. Godzilla. Almost like Godzilla. He's kind of destroying the town. Yeah, they're running through the streets and everything. It is a huge production. And it was so expensive. And then they just cut it. Like, it was probably the biggest undertaking of the entire movie to film this. Is a big, big deal. And then, yeah, it wasn't actually in the final movie. It wouldn't be seen by most people until the DVD release. Uh, And in even some cases, it was out on DVD, and then those copies were then pulled so they could recut a new version where that ending was integrated into it. Uh, And then that still didn't happen for a number of years. And that came out six years ago or something like that, which is, I think, when we saw it. But anyway... Really, really big, but you can see why people might be upset with an ending like that. How down it is. It's these plants now taking over Earth. Yes. And our main character's just dead. Yes. Yeah. Very, very sad. Uh-huh. So, I agree. I'm happy with the Hollywood happy yeah. <laughs> But that is Little Shop of Horrors. Anything else to say? Love this movie. It's, yeah. So good. So just So good. So, so, good. so, so good. So, 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 so good. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 90. Exactly right. 90. Remixing Roger Corman's B-movie by way of the off-Broadway musical, Little Shop of Horrors offers camp, horror, and catchy tunes in equal measure, and I think that's important. It does all of them equally. It doesn't lean too heavily into one or the other. Uh, Plus some inspired cameos by the likes of Steve Martin and Bill Murray. A Metacritic average of 81 and a cinema score of A minus. Do you think that this is overrated or underrated, Kelsey? I'm going to say underrated. Really? How much are you going to give it? I mean, okay, there's like instances I might change if I had the ability to do so. 
but it's so rare and it's so few. And this is just so good. I'm going to give it 100. Wow. Kelsey's just doling out these hundreds. I've given another 100 this year. Well, not this year, but it is within the past year. July of last year, you gave Rear Window 100. And then February of 2018, before that, was Rosemary's Baby. So I guess these two coming so close to each other. 100 from Kelsey. Wow. So good. Yeah, I guess that is kind of sort of meaningful. Especially, you know, you it's something that you would listen to on repeat in your car. Over and over yeah, and over and uh-huh. over. So, yeah, I get that. That movie for me was probably Nightmare. And I gave Nightmare a 98. So I think I'll have to go a little bit lower. I'll go a 94, I think. Still very, very solidly in the 90s. This movie is excellent. So good. I think it's a movie that I think everyone should see. And I think it is also a barometer. This is the sort of thing that you're not... I I feel like (laughs) my parents might even like this. It might turn them off, but... Who knows? I think there's a chance that they could like it. My parents think it's a stupid, silly comedy, like, musical. Like, they don't not like it, but they don't think it's great. (laughs) Right. No, it is great. (laughs) But yeah, I'll give it a 94. So still very, very high. This might be our number one movie of the year at this rate. Well, (laughs) it's only April. (laughs) But still, still, that's an average of 97. All right, that brings us to our next movie, our modern film from 2008. Which will not be getting 100%. It will not. will not. The Happening, which I think arguably is also a play on a B movie. Maybe. I wrote down at one point this movie should have just been filmed in black and white. I think it would have gone a long way if it was more explicitly playing on B movie tropes, and it didn't fuck up the ending so bad. (laughs) But anyway... Written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, of course, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Starring Mark Wahlberg, Zoe Deschanel, John Leguizamo, Jeremy Strong, and Betty Buckley. Jeremy Strong, now famous for being in Succession, like the biggest show on television. Shyamalan himself described this as sort of a 60s B-movie about, like, you know, paranoia, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Like, that's kind of what he was going for. Which, yes, you should have leaned into it harder. You really, really should have. Mm -hmm. The way that Little Shop just leaned heavily into every aspect. Mm -hmm. It's campiness. It's musicality. Like, everything. You should have leaned really, really hard into it. What is the happening about? A guy, his wife, his friend, and his friend's daughter are stranded because something is happening that causes people to kill themselves. Yeah, the tagline for this movie famously was, we've sensed it, we've seen the signs, now it's happening. It's a pretty great tagline. But it's also his fifth movie at this point. What movie did they skip? Well, they skipped two movies. Oh. They skipped Unbreakable. Ooh, ouch. And his fourth movie... The Village, and even Lady in the Water. So I thought it was his fifth movie. I guess it's his sixth movie by this time, and they're passing over everything. One of them, if I remember correctly, one of them, it might have been Signs. Its tagline was already, it's happening. Probably. And so they're just going to ignore that. (laughs) I guess. 
You can watch it on HBO Max again, DirecTV, Spectrum. You can rent it for $4 or buy it for $15. Kelsey, should people watch The Happening? Maybe just to know what not to do when making a movie? I, I don't even know that I would go so far as to say that. I am not going to be hyperbolic about this movie. I will tell you right now, I have a note here in in my list of notes that says, all things considered, I had an all right time. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious, but it doesn't I laughed me. out loud multiple times, right, and I would argue that it does mean to be. It just doesn't make it obvious enough. People feel uncomfortable when they should be laughing. They say that's awkward when they should be laughing. I think that's the problem with this movie. It needs to lean heavier. It should have been filmed in black and white. It should have made more overt references to the movies of the 50s and the 60s. It should have been an all-out B-movie, and they should not have been playing this like the new, great M. Night Shyamalan epic, what a twist movie, because that's not what it is. Well, more importantly, I want to know what was going on with our two main actors, because they just were not... I, I don't know what was going on, but their acting was so bad. Well, the thing is, is that Mark Wahlberg is really good at playing a couple different types of roles. He himself said cops and crooks, right? This is, you can't blame me for wanting to play another a role that's not a cop or a crook. A scientist. Right, yeah, he wanted to play a scientist. And Zoe Deschanel, the manic pixie dream girl type, you know, that she is. Tweeb, you know, you, she's the type of person that you would expect to be playing a ukulele at all times. You know what I mean? It's a weird role for her. But then again, it's kind of what Shyamalan does. He makes everyone, this is his directorial style, he makes everyone play every role as deadpan as possible. Go back and watch his movies. That's like his only direction for his actors is do not emote. Only emote when you're about to burst into tears. And that's like the only time that you're allowed to, to emote in an M. Night Shyamalan movie. And it works for the feeling that you're supposed to have for this movie where you should be laughing, it's not overt enough, I feel. It fails at what it tries to do, I will say. That said, I'm not upset at what it was trying to do. I don't think you need to watch it, though. Maybe watch it just to know how bad it is. Just to know what everyone's talking about. I don't think it's the sort of movie that, oh, it's so bad, it's good. I'm not trying to say that. And I don't think that it's a movie that's just so awful you should stay away from it. I guess that makes it sort of a meh to me. That's that's my recommendation. I think it's hilarious. I don't think it meant to be. I did laugh out loud several times. Yes. But again, I think it meant to be. Yeah, we'll talk about it. <laughs> You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2008's The Happening. There appears to be an event happening. Did you hear that? What's going on? We lost contact. With whom? Everyone. The Happening, a film by M. Night Shyamalan. We just have to be alive when it's over. Rated R, Friday, June 13th. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does The Happening begin? With a scene with a girl who's going to become very famous later on. Yeah, I mean, kind of. I guess she doesn't answer any questions about this movie anymore in interviews. 
Like she just refuses to talk about it. <laughs> it's one scene she gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kristen Connolly as woman reading on bench. And what do we know her from? Cabin in the Woods. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's in this one scene and she's talking to her friend and her friend's like, I forgot where I am. And she's like, you're at the part where the guy's going to kill the girl, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. It's supposed to be silly. Reading a book. They're sitting on a bench in a park. Reading books together. And suddenly she looks up and she's like, did you hear that? What are those people doing? It looks like they're tearing themselves apart. Is that and, blood? And you see people like walking backwards and she's like, did you hear what I just said? And then her friend repeats the question, what page was I on? What page was I on? And then ends up stabbing herself in the neck. Now, this is a cool scene. It's setting up a really good mystery. Like if you don't know what's going to happen, like this is exciting. I remember yeah. being in the theater and being excited. Like what is this? What's going on? This is the movie's conundrum, right? The conundrum is as follows. If you don't know what's going on, it is super intriguing. Yes. And then you find out and you're like, "Oh, fuck this." Yes. The only other alternative is that you know what it is ahead of time. Going and knowing and it's just And silly. it's not intriguing anymore. Right. So it's like, it's a lose-lose situation for this movie. Right. But knowing what it is and knowing how bad the movie is, like, you just sit back and you kind of let it wash over you. And then there are parts that are funny. And again, I don't know that they were trying to be, but Chris thinks they were, but we will I think they were. There is this sort of subtle humor that M. Night Shyamalan has. One thing that I will say works sometimes in his movies is that, I think I might have mentioned this already, he directs his actors to be very deadpan. Like, that's his direction style. They're always very deadpan. And always wide-eyed looking at something off the off screen or out of frame, you know? Or, or they talk to each other in weird ways, and you're like, who talks to each other like that? But maybe it's a little bit interesting, right? He does that here, and it's weird like this girl just stares at her friend impaling herself in the neck and just looks at her and this is probably one of the big problems of this if this was really happening why do some people not get affected the movie does not try to explain that in any way zero explanation and that's not going to become part of the story it's not going to be like some people are immune and those are the people that are going to lead the rest no not at all this will not come up except for in these scenes and it's to create creepiness and that is a problem it just adds more questions that don't have answers yes and not in an interesting way is it creepy yes but then later you're not going to give me a a reason for it right then no i reject Mm -hmm. it but it's always that the movie's going to be bookended by another scene just like this but in france Mm -hmm. and it's the same sort of thing the guy who's talking to his friend is the last one hit by this, and there's no explanation as to why. Mm-hmm. We then get a scene, another very well done, creepy scene of a construction site, and men start walking off uh-huh. the edge. And like, this is the shit I remember from the trailer. And I remember thinking, yeah. like, ooh, how intriguing. What is going on? Why would people behave this way? And yeah. When you find out that it's plants, like, again, that kind of. I, I think that aids the idea of this being a B movie from the 50s. And, I and agree. All that. But when you don't know that going <laughs> yeah. in, then it's garbage. Yeah. Like I say, I think this movie could have done gangbusters if it just leaned more heavily into its B moviness. Mm-hmm. Speaking of bees, 
this actually did happen at the time. I, I think it is still happening. I mean, happening. It's, it's still a concern. Yeah. Yes. Uh, honeybees are dying. Yeah. Haven't they decided that it's because of too many frequencies in the air? Like, I don't isn't the blame know. That's on one of the cell theories. phones? That's one of the theories. And that bees... It's 5G, man! <laughs> and that bees can't uh, follow their normal patterns of... Uh, of getting they can't navigate as well or something I, I know that's one of the theories i don't think anything's concrete and this movie kind of says as much it's an act of nature and as such we'll probably never really understand it we can only develop theories and this is the science class that marky mark is teaching <laughs> i'm sorry he will always be marky mark i am of a certain age and he will always be marky mark well anyway again he has a really like quiet good class they don't have any answers really until mm -hmm. he forces them to so that was good but yeah the fact that they <laughs> tell me kelsey the fact that they chime in with answers that mean they thought about it a little bit is that very common in classrooms when you force them like uh -huh. i you know like if you call on a certain kid you, you say their name you make them think about it yeah but no i liked that nobody raised their hand i was like yeah, yeah that is what it's like um, What's happening is he's he's posing the question to them. They're, the bees in this particular area just disappeared. There are no corpses anywhere. And it's devastating to the ecology of the area. What happened? He wants them to develop theories. What's your theory for what happened? And then they'll say an idea. And he's like, oh, you know what? That's a really good theory. But what about the bodies? You know, or et cetera, et cetera. And so he's, what he's saying is that no theory is perfect. No theory covers all avenues, and we might not ever fully understand it. But he gets pulled out of class to a group of, like, all the teachers have been assembled, which I'm like, well, that wouldn't have happened because you would have had somebody to watch the kids. But anyway, all the teachers get assembled, and they're told there's some sort of, we think it's a terrorist attack on New York City. All these people are now committing suicide. They think it's an airborne toxin that terrorists have put into the air. It's and Cameron in his one-scene cameo. Yeah. From Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes. Yes. For two seconds. Uh -huh. But Mark Wahlberg immediately thinks that it's weird that they would do it in a park, which I don't understand why he would think that it's weird to do it no, in a park. No, he doesn't think it's weird. He thinks it's, well, okay. If you're going to release an airborne toxin, why would you release it in an area that's open air? That would make it less effective. Releasing a toxin in a crowded space with not a lot of places for the air to go, makes a lot more sense. Rather than a place where it's completely open air, we have this natural filtration system in our trees, we have a bunch of people that are standing, you know, 20 yards apart at all times. So if it's airborne, why would it be released in a park? Doesn't make any sense. He thinks there's something else going on here. Hmm. By the way, I gotta say, I, I mentioned this at the time, but... Andy Samberg's impression of Mark Wahlberg from Saturday Night Live is so spot on where he's at like a petting zoo or something like that. And he's talking to the animals. Say hi to your mother for me. So you're a dog, right? What's that all about? Okay. Well, it was great to meet you. Say hi to your mother for me, okay? Now I'm going to talk to a donkey. Like, it's just so... So spot, it's perfect. And this is the specific Mark Wahlberg that he's doing is the one in this movie. <laughs> 
Yes, uh, Mark Wahlberg is pretty silly in this movie. But again, if he's very soft spoken, if he's trying to do that, <laughs> then it's working. Yes, but it's just so what I'm saying. They needed to lean harder. It needed to be more obvious that they were trying to do that. Yeah, I. It's funny because normally I tell people, "Whoa, let's make it more subtle," you know. Uh-huh. But like what I always tell my kids is make it big the first time, then we can pare it, it down. Yeah. But if it's not, if it's never big, no one's going to get it. It's much harder to get there, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he has a stupid conversation with his friend John Leguizamo, who is a math teacher. So he's a science teacher, his friend's a math teacher. Yep. And John Leguizamo tells him that his wife, Alma, you know, she wasn't ready to get married because he tells him, he's, she's thinking about leaving. <laughs> Yeah, it's this other sort of thing where it's like people are talking dramatically about a topic that we don't have all the information on. If you do it right, it just hits me somewhere in the back of my brain and I love it, right? Like people having conversations where you're like, "What? who talks like this, right? Sometimes that can be good. Mad Men did it really well. I think Leftovers did it really well. There's some good prestige TV that does that very, very well. Hannibal does it very well, right? This is not as good. <laughs> Where it's like, why are they being so melodramatic for something that it seems really obvious? Their relationship is strained. Something happened. His wife's a weirdo. From the perspective of his friend. Yes, and the writing. The writing is super bad. But again, if if like Chris says, if it, they were going for this melodrama, then yeah, they needed... To up the music, they needed to up the, you know, the looks to the camera and stuff if mm-hmm. they wanted us to fe- get that feel, because you just don't get it. I, I mean, you tell me that that's what they're going for, and I'm like, okay, I kind of see it, but not enough. Yeah. She is getting calls from Joey, who we will find out later. She went and had dessert with a guy she works with because she's unhappy in her marriage. And it's, it's this is played by Zoe Deschanel. And Joey is M. Night Shyamalan, by the way. Oh, okay. We hear him, like, once. Yes. Zoe Deschanel, I've never thought she's a great actress. And some movies, it's really apparent, and it's really apparent here. I mean, Yeah. I mean, when when Mark Wahlberg says his stupid lines, what? No. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. funny. <laughs> but when she does her lines, it's just limp. No, Everything is, is limp with her. She should be cast in very specific roles. Like, I feel like New Girl is perfect for her, right? 500 Days of Summer. Yeah, she was good perfect in 500 for Days her. of Summer. Manic Pixie Dream Girls. Well, like, sort of. She's not like the Garden State Manic Pixie Dream Girl, really. But she gives off that vibe being very, like we, like I said earlier, very twee, very you expect her to always be playing a ukulele, which she does, by the way. <laughs> like, you know, it's exactly what you would expect out of her. But what, what M. Night Shyamalan needs is we need somebody who's very monotone because that's the way he directs his actors. Go back and watch his movies. They're all like this. Uh, and he needs somebody with big, beautiful eyes, because we're going to be seeing a lot of them. And I have to say, she has stunning eyes. Like, we get we get a lot of close-ups of her blue eyes. Like, that, the last close-up of the movie is her eyes. Uh, it's not the end of the movie, but it's the last close-up that we get. And she just has these beautiful blue eyes that plays well on screen, and that's what he needed her for. But the acting is not what this role needs. It fits a little bit with M. Night Shyamalan's direction style, but 
I'm telling you, it doesn't work in this movie. We get to see their wedding photo, and it is garbagely mm-hmm. bad. It is so hideous. It I'm is. like, that took you all of two seconds to do. Like, yep. You don't have. You don't show effort. Why do I care? Yeah. But he, Joey's going to keep calling. She keeps hanging up on him. She, Alma, played by Zoe Deschanel, and Mark Wahlberg are going to go with his friend, John Leguizamo, on a train. John Leguizamo is going to bring his daughter. His wife will not be there because it's very important that he is separated from his wife. Apparently, she was going to go pick up a birthday present, which I'm like... If no, that's why, yeah, that's, that's why, why she, they were separated in the first place. That's why she couldn't get to the train. But, like, if there was a terrorist attack, I'm pretty sure you'd say, I can get that later. No, 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 you're misinterpreting it. The reason why she wasn't, she was somewhere else is she was getting a present for their daughter, Jess. She couldn't get to the train in time because the method she had to take, the route she had to take because of where she was, she ran into traffic. So the gift is just why she was where she was. The traffic is the reason why she couldn't get to the train. She wasn't like, oh, terrorist attack? I guess I'll still buy a present. It just happened to be where she was when the terrorist attack, in quotes, happened. Mm. She has the stupidest line to Jess at this moment. Because Jess whispers to John Leguizamo, her dad. That's actually later, but yes, go ahead. It happens a couple of times, but when they're in the train station, she tells her, we're so much the same, Jess. I don't like to show my emotions either. Sorry. She whispers to us when she gets scared. We're so much the same, Jess. I don't like to show my emotions either. It is so, so terribly written and so Yes, terribly, why would you just say that? And so terribly said. Like, it does not feel real at all. Uh-huh. I don't think Zoe Deschanel believed in this writing. No. And I think she was just saying the lines. Yep. And, like, she had no, there's no motivation there. Like, you're, she wasn't trying to comfort her or anything. It was just, the line says, Uh-huh. Oh, Jess, you and I are so much the same. I don't like to show my emotions either. Like, she didn't... It's tone deaf both auditorily and socially. Yes. (laughs) Yes. 100%. It's really, really bad. Throughout the film, we're going to see a couple of very minor things that are trying to tell us that, like, oh, the world's gone to shit. At one point, we see, like, the headline of a newspaper that says, murder skyrockets. And then later, we're going to see those two giant nuclear plant, like, in in the Simpsons opening Uh shot. And all it's pumping all this shit into the air. And it's like... Everyone's wondering, is this what's causing it? Is it our pollution? Is it? There's a lot of different theories. But it's, I mean, they're trying to tell you why the plants hate Oh, yeah, the so movie much. has an opinion. Yes. Is that humans are destroying the planet, and if plants are going to survive, they need to kill off some of the humans. Which I get is it. why it starts at, like, that's the twist, by the way. Uh, it starts at large groups, and as the poisoning gets more intense, the group's can be smaller and smaller and then eventually the idea is events like this crest they hit their peak and then they drop off suddenly and the difference between uh, like a big problem and an extinction level event is if there's anybody left after that crest and here's the thing you can't just decide to get rid of plants right uh-huh there's a lot of our oxygen there. yeah we can't do that and too bad we've decided that <laughs> The uh, the Amazon rainforest would like to have a word. <laughs> anyway, we find out that they're evacuating New York City, and that is why they've decided to leave Philadelphia, even though they don't think it's very 
likely that they would hit Philadelphia. Oh, I thought they, they were headed don't. to Philadelphia. No, they're leaving Philadelphia. Oh. They're in the city and they're getting out of the city. And then and eventually we'll find out that Philadelphia gets quote unquote hit. Yes. Mm-hmm. When she shows up first, at jo- jo- Leguizamo is like, I'm so glad you decided to come. She's like, what the fuck? You told yeah, him about uh, our problems, but not with that much emotion. Right. That right there, too much emotion for Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> These are our problems. Yeah. Here's Why a, are you talking to other people about our problems? Here's a social cue, folks, right? If you're upset at somebody else for revealing too much that other people might have an impression of you that you don't want. That is not the time to pull that person aside and very obviously admonish them in front of somebody else. I'm not saying that she's wrong to be upset that he's sharing her emotional problems with somebody else that she doesn't want them to know. I'm not saying she's wrong to be upset about that. I'm saying she's wrong if her problem is he thinks she's crazy, maybe don't behave this way in front of him. Mm-hmm. The way that the movie decides to show us that there is an attack on Philadelphia is the kind of famous scene where the gun gets passed and passed. Yeah, and passed. it's a very short one. Or the cop kills himself, but we only see his feet. He falls to the ground and drops his gun. Somebody walks up, finds the gun, shoots themselves. They drop to the ground. Somebody else. It's three people. That's it. But there are a few sort of one or shots in here that are also, you know, pretty fun. I'm glad he has an eye for that. You know, I love a good one and when they find out that Philadelphia got hit, they start to freak out. You know, what about John Linguizama's wife? Mm-hmm. Well, she's headed to Princeton. Uh, but at the same time, Boston has also gotten hit. And then suddenly the train comes to a stop in yes. this random town called Filbert. And the scientist, uh, Marky Mark, is like, why are we stopped here? I'm not going to stop asking until you tell me. And this se- whole scene feels very unbelievable. And it's very much a trailer scene. Yeah. Um, we lost contact, sir. With who? Everyone. Everyone. Like, a very, very dramatic. <laughs> and, like, again, like, good for a trailer. Not good in the film. It does yeah. not feel believable. They have these... Pauses in between. It well, feels also, very unrealistic. Yeah, it's a manufactured tense moment. Yes. And then when he goes back to the crowd, he talks to Leguizamo and Deschanel. And they're like, what's going on? And he's like, I don't know. Nobody will tell me anything. I'm not saying anything. No, they told you everything. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is the whispering scene where she's she says, like, I don't like to show my emotions either. But when they show up, Right in front of her. Because remember, John Leguizamo is just standing there holding the kid. Got it. And uh, the girl, <laughs> Marky Mark, says something to the kid. And she doesn't say anything. And he goes, is she okay? And fucking Emily, Zoe Deschanel right in front of her says, she's not talking. It's right. Like, so it is awkward. very weird. Very awkward. I wrote down, what is this acting at this point? Totally. There's another moment later when... They all need to find rides. The whole entire diner where everyone is trying to figure out what's going on just empties out, despite the fact that it should be full of people who are just on a train and don't have cars. Were abandoned in the, this random town they were not right. expecting I to I understand go to. everyone with a car disappears, but the literally the only people left are our heroes, and that is it. Yeah, also none of these people have any of their, like, luggage or anything all of a sudden. It's very badly put together. And so what we find out is that there is a nice man, Frank Collison is the actor's name, and he's a uh, a nursery owner, like a plant nursery owner. You might know him from, I guess I probably know him most from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? 
Um, but he's a character actor. You've definitely seen him before. He's going to give them a ride, but John Leguizamo is going to get a ride with another car. To go to Princeton. To, to see his wife and asks them, will you watch Jess for me? And Deschanel goes to grab Jess's hand and John Leguizamo has this super intense line. And don't get me wrong, I love John Leguizamo. He says, I got her to take my daughter's hand unless you need it. What the fuck is that? Like, he has a serious problem with her. He does not like Alma. All because he saw her crying on her wedding day. Well, he also just doesn't think she's been a good wife, I think. There's probably other things here in the history. Why is that his biggest concern right now? More concerning is the fact that, like, the people that agreed to take him have already honked, like, twice. You gotta go! And he just sticks around longer. Yeah, like, why wouldn't they have left without him at this point? The most tense moment in the movie is, will they leave without him? (laughs) (laughs) And it's not framed that way. (laughs) You did skip a couple of things. Uh There's the whole mood ring thing, which is super unimportant and stupid, but it It comes comes up up thematically. Yeah. Uh, The whole point is whenever he's wearing the mood ring, which he bought on their their first first date, date, and uh, we find out later, but he's wearing it all the time, and it's always blue, which is calm. That's the whole point, is he is always calm, he's always collected, he's always doing something. He's never panicky, but he's going to get more and more panicky as time goes. I think there's one shot where you see it is like an orange or something like that later on. But yes, he puts it on Jess and it's purple or something. And he's like, oh, yellow. that means you're yellow. It means you're about to laugh. And he gets her to laugh. And it's very charming. Yeah, it's, it is a cute moment. They also will see a video of a dude letting lions like tear him, off, tear him apart, which yeah. is super weird and random and awkward. Not well shot. I don't know right. what he was thinking. But it's around this time that they're like, they're not sure they're terrorists anymore. Yeah. So that's when the guy who owns the nursery is like, I've figured it out. (laughs) It's the plants. Now, when I saw this in theaters, I burst out laughing. And I was like, good joke, M. Night. I love it. There's first another joke. So they've gone back to the nursery first before they're going to travel on somewhere else. And he comes out of nowhere and he's like, we're packing hot dogs for the road. You know hot dogs get a bad rap. They got a cool shape. They got protein. You like hot dogs, right? <laughs> and like, it's this weird... They're both like, not really. Not really yeah. <laughs> and he says, by the way, I know what's causing this. It's the plants. They can release chemicals. And he's talking to his plants. You know, he's like, oh, don't worry. We'll be right back. And like, oh, you know, they, they do respond to human stimulus. This is all true. They can adapt. They can... They they respond to stimulus. Like, these are all true things. Now, to the extent that it happens here, no. But they can do things like if a predator, say, an herbivore, comes by and eats a plant. When the plant breaks, it gives off a pheromone that other plants receive. And that triggers them to stop releasing the pheromone that they normally do to summon things like bees and things like that to pollinate them. So the herbivores don't smell them and get drawn to them and eat them. It's like a self-preservation thing. And they communicate to each other that way. But it's a very chemical communication. They're not like, hey, Phil, stop making that scent. There's a deer. It's going to eat you. Like, it's not like that. It's just, well, when their leaves break... Or their stem breaks or something, it releases a particular pheromone inside. It's just natural selection. It's fascinating. The plants that do that just randomly are more likely to live. And so they proliferate more. 
That's all it is. That's all natural selection is. So that's what causes it. It's not like a plant that already exists suddenly starts releasing a chemical that it never has before. And also multiple plants from different species. Like, yes, they do communicate to each other because it's this sort of symbiotic relationship within the ecosystem. But it's not like, you know, this tree and that plant are suddenly going to release the same chemical at the same time because they've been talking and scheming. <laughs> How do you know? But if You don't know. If that's what the movie wants to say is happening, then it should really fucking lean into the absurdity of it. Agreed. So John Leguizamo and his group are going to come across pretty, again, like these scenes are pretty interesting and intriguing if you don't know what's going on. And they find all these people have hung themselves. And they all start, like one girl starts screaming. And the way that he calms her down is by telling her a math problem. I'm going to give you a math riddle, okay? And you're going to tell me the answer. What? How much, how much would you have if I said I would pay you a penny on the first day? And then two pennies on the second and then four pennies on the third day. And I just kept doubling it. I did this for a month. How much money would you have at the end of the month? Ten dollars. Oh, hi, hi, hi. Just, just keep looking at me. Just keep looking at me. He's like, you know, cover up all the windows, cover up all the gaps because they're in a Jeep, which is not a great car to be in uh, for, to make sure that no air gets inside. And then, of course, he notices that there is a cut in the canvas top above him. And it's a really sad, scary scene. You watch the car just driving naturally, and then it goes real fast into a tree. Mm-hmm. And then the John Leguizamo flies out through the windshield. He gets out mm-hmm. and cuts his own wrists with the glass. And it's just really sad because, like, mm-hmm. you watched him knowing what was going to happen to yes. him. Yes, yeah. I thought that. I thought that was good. Meanwhile, our heroes in a different jeep <laughs> or whatever it is that they're driving. Well, they're in an a- they're station an SUV wagon. or something like that. Okay, yeah. Um, they run into effectively a an intersection a safe zone somehow well they figure it's safe because it's le- well, none of them populated none of them and, are dying yeah but like they all come from these different uh, directions to this like four corners area it's yes. like don't go back that way there's all these bodies don't go back that way there's all these bodies and what they find is it's every direction mm-hmm. and so we meet private oster who is jeremy strong and he tells his story. Who does the story. most infuriating thing. What? Shouts out something that he never once said. And I'm like, really, M. Knight? You didn't have any other character do that? Every other character that you had oh. repeat themselves was because they'd already said that. Well, it's probably because, I mean, I can only assume this. It's because one of the things they do in the military is they make you repeat things over and over and over again. And so it's like instinct almost i think he wanted it to be dramatic he did he did i don't like that don't break your own rules but he establishes in the event of an attack you want to get away from populated areas um and it's probably what's happening is they're going from more populated areas to less populated areas and he's right but not that it's a coordinated attack um and so we got to cut through there is um there's a realtor who says oh there's this area nearby and it's very unpopulated there's practically nobody there uh, so we can head to that area. We won't take any of these roads. We'll split apart into groups. Two groups. Yes. One group will go now. Uh-huh. One group will get their stuff. But 
Jess just wants to go, like, immediately, because uh-huh. just like in every Stephen King story, she's got kind of a little bit of a, right. we need to get out of here now, uh-huh. because what we're going to find out is being in a big group is a bad idea, which is interesting, yes. because usually in these scenarios, in horror scenarios, you, bigger the number, the better. Not in this scenario. Yeah. So that's at least turning something on its head. This is also where we get the example of... um Plants targeting threats by when a plant is getting eaten by a caterpillar, it sends out a chemical which attracts the wasps to kill the caterpillars. But it's not like, fuck these caterpillars. What eats a caterpillar? Hmm, a wasp. Okay, how can I summon a wasp? Like, it's not going through this thought process. It's just coincidence, and coincidence breeds more of that thing, you know? And so, yeah, it just leads to more of that thing. And it seems like it must have been planned, but it's not. But anyway, we get more examples of that. Yes, it is true. It does happen in nature. But anyway, Private Oster sort of leading this group. And our heroes are in the smaller group that's going ahead without the equipment. And then the larger group is coming behind them. And then at some point, Private Oster is going to yell out, My firearm is my friend! It will not leave my side! My firearm is my friend! Again, repeating something that's at the front of their mind before he takes out his gun. And I gotta say, this scene is actually very well done. We're focused more on the guy, the plant nursery guy. Yeah. And I think he does a really good job. I love He's very sympathetic looking, right? Like uh, he Yes, he has a very sad looking face, but then also he says Private Oster. Like, cause at this point that had kind of become their leader. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he sees this happen and he watches them die, and it's like he knows they're all gonna die. Yeah. And it it's, and it's very sad. Very sad. And I thought that that was well done. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, M Knight. Like, we all know you're a good director. I don't understand some of the decisions you make. Yes, uh-huh. So this is the moment where we, we experience most of these deaths from the point of view of our smaller group who just hears gunshots going off. And they start to freak very out. very sad. Yeah. And some people want to go back to the larger group. And he's like, no, because things are starting to click for him. Yes, he's he puts it together scientifically. He does the uh-huh. whole... He did this whole thing with his kids earlier, and now he's doing it how now. Do we, how do we do an experiment? What are the steps, right? And he suddenly realizes it's got to be, we got to get in smaller groups. Yes, because he's like, okay, well, we passed through this area first. We didn't get affected, but they did. What are the variables? Well, we got the size of the group, the time that you passed through. And basically, he's like, we need to stay away from these larger groups. Now, he's going to say, let's stay ahead of the wind. And this is when the wind will pick up. And I'm like, this is a beautiful As if the shot. plants are controlling the wind. Right, yes. <laughs> I was like, this is a beautiful shot, M. Knight. But you want me to be afraid of the wind. Now, if this was real, if this somehow actually happened, in real life, maybe sure, I would be afraid of the wind. But you cannot expect your audience who is removed enough from this and who thought that plants are giving out pheromones being silly mm-hmm. in the first place. No, the wind is not going to scare me. And this is where this like reminded me of the witch, you know, like I'm supposed to be afraid of this landscape because they are, mm-hmm. but I'm not in this situation. Right. I will say it is effective in one moment towards the end because it sets something up where wind followed by death. Whether you believe it or not, that is set up, right? And that becomes effective later on. 
there's this whole argument because we're like, we can't just sit by and do nothing. We're not gonna be one of those assholes on the news who watches a crime happen and not do something. We're not assholes. Just a second. Like assholes or whatever it is that she says. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not assholes, are we? He convinces them that no, it is best for everyone. If they're dead, they're already dead. There's nothing for us and to do. And we'll just be dead if we exactly. go that way. So they keep going forward and they find a truck randomly in the middle of a field. And I'm like, okay, if I believe that, then I have to believe that this town has been affected. Right. Otherwise, this just doesn't make any sense. Right. So. But they take it as a sign of, but let's I guess keep it's, going. I guess it's the guy was driving and he was like, oh shit. And then he left his truck there and ran back to the house With because this house will be populated. Door open. But yeah, why would he? Why wouldn't he have driven it all the way there? It's so stupid. But anyway, the point is they find a house, which is very obvious in the horizon the entire time, from where the small group is standing. Marky Mark went up ahead to check out the truck alone, and when he yells back to them, hey, there's a house over there, it's like, yeah, we can see it too. <laughs> well, first they go to the model house. Which I don't know why that was supposed to be like so funny yeah, that they're it was in a supposed model to be house? profound in some way. I did not get what I was supposed to be getting out of it. They, yeah, they go to the model house and it's like, why is everything set up here? And it's like, I was expecting a nuclear bomb. Yes, is there something about nuclear bombs? I was yeah, so confused. What is what is so remarkable about the fact that this is a model home? So it's a model home. So what? Yeah. Because they immediately leave anyway. Now, they do make a really funny joke about him talking to a plastic plant. Yes. Oh, God. It's the best joke of the movie. It's very funny. And it, it gets a lot of shit, but it's it's legitimately funny <sighs> if you're going into this movie with the right mindset. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to talk really softly. <laughs> My name is Elliot Moore. Just want to talk in a very positive manner. <laughs> Giving off good vibes. We're just here to use the bathroom and then we're going to leave. I hope that's okay. Which if it's a model house, you couldn't have used the bathroom. Probably not. You could have tried. <laughs> but he feels the plant and he's like, plastic. I'm talking to a plastic plant. I'm still doing I'm it. I'm still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. It is just really funny. We're just here to use the bathroom. And then we're just going to leave. I hope that's okay. Plastic. But yes, as they leave, because they see there's more crowds that are coming to these homes, but the, but as these crowds are converging on they this property, die. they start to kill themselves. We see one lay down in front of a mower. Yes, which is a, a, a classic shot from the trailer, but you actually get to see all the gruesome gore. They also, when they're running away, it's, it's you know, model homes, live here, you deserve you this. You deserve this is what it says, yes. I think that M. Night thought he was being very that profound. That is the... Only reason that these are model homes, as far as I can tell, is so he can put up an advertisement that says, you deserve this. Mm -hmm. So they have to stop at a house because Jess is hungry. And again, just terrible acting. Marky Mark is like, we got to keep going. And Zoe Deschanel is like, I know, but she's only eight. And you're just like, emote, emotion, <laughs> something, Zoe. Be a person. But again, I think that's just the way Shyamalan directs. I know, but she's only eight. Maybe. He thinks it's more profound and he thinks it's more tension building, but it's really not. We also have two young men, Jared and Josh. Who are, as soon as they get together with the group, you're like, oh, you're here to die. Right. And you're young kids, so it's supposed to affect us emotionally. Josh is but Spencer Breslin. Because they're very annoying. If you recognize Josh. That's oh, Abigail's brother? It's Abigail Breslin's brother. He is the kid from the kid. 
Ooh. Do you remember the kid? I do remember Bruce Willis. He meets his younger self. Yeah. Yeah. He's the kid from the kid. Abigail Breslin's still doing it. (laughs) And she was in Signs. She was. Probably why. That's probably why he got hired is for a cameo appearance. Yes. Yes. But they're shitty kids. So when they find this house that they just want to get food from. The guy inside is like, get the fuck off my property. And the kids decide to be, you know, I I guess. No, he's being an asshole. Yeah. It's like, no, maybe, but you don't know what they're doing, what they're going through. You don't want to endanger them, even if they are being assholes. Also, you have no idea what they're going to do to you. So all of a sudden the door opens up and a gun comes out and shoots Josh and then shoots Jared. Mm -hmm. And both of these kids are fucking dead. Dead. Why they wouldn't shoot Marky Mark, I'm not sure, but they don't. Well, because they shot the people that were trying to get in. Marky Mark was very explicitly not trying to get in. They leave and they get to another house, which is also owned by a crazy person. But this lady is willing to let them in because she doesn't know what's going on. We should she say there no contact with there the outside. There is world. a conversation where we get the context for their argument, but not really. She admits that she had tiramisu with this guy, Joey. Oh, yeah. And, okay, one of the best social interactions in the entire movie, like, legitimately, it's good. It's heartwarming, is she admits this to him. It's like, nothing happened. All it was was dessert, but I felt so guilty, and I've been keeping this inside, and uh, he's like... In case we die, I wanted to let you know. And he says, his response is not... You went with some other guy or whatever. It's, you lied to me? Because you said you were at work late and you weren't. And you ended up having dessert with some guy from work, you know? Which I can totally see as being like a completely innocent thing on her part. You know, maybe she's maybe a little bit unhappy. She just wants to go out with some other person that's not her husband. She's at work. He invites her out. And she's like, well, if I tell him I'm going out to have dessert with this guy alone, he's not going to like it. So I guess I'll just say I'm at work late. It might as well. I'm not going to do anything. I don't mean, you know. Oh, no. I absolutely think she went out on a date. You think? I absolutely think she went out on a date. Okay. And then she immediately regretted it. I don't Mm. think she wanted to do anything more with this guy. I think they show that very clearly with her ignoring his phone calls. But I think she was unhappy. She told him she wanted to leave. And this guy at work probably has had a crush on her for forever and was pestering her and pestering her and pestering her. And then in a moment of weakness, she finally said, okay, and then immediately regretted it. Yeah. Well, he responds a little bit later as they're approaching this house. He says, if we're going to die, I want you to know something. I was in a pharmacy a while ago. There was a really good looking pharmacist behind the counter. Really good looking. I went up and I asked where the cough syrup was. I didn't even have a cough. And I almost bought it. And I'm talking about a completely superfluous bottle of cough syrup. That's like six bucks. And he's just looking at her and she's looking at him. <laughs> and you don't know if he's meaning if he means it or not because it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. That <laughs> might be legitimate. But then she asks him, Are you joking? And he just very slowly and quietly nods his head. <laughs> and her response is, which is very sweet, is just Thank you. Yes, it's very cute. It's very sweet. It's funny. Say hi to your mother for me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, dog, how's it going? I like your fur. That looks really great. So they find this house with this crazy lady in it. Do you recognize this crazy lady? No. She is the therapist from Split. This is Betty Buckley playing Mrs. Jones. She is the doctor in Split 
and Kelsey, she's Miss Collins and Carrie, the PE teacher. From the original Carrie? From the original Carrie, yes. Well, she does not look that way at all anymore. <laughs> well, Carrie was a long time ago. Yes, it was. It was like 50 years ago. <laughs> well, she was much better in Split as the doctor yeah. than she was in this. Oh, my God. This character is so weird and stupid. There is no explanation for why she's so weird. She just is. Yeah. But so she invites them in because that's what she was taught to do, even though she does not like these people. She tells them that there is a room that you can connect to by talking through a tube. Like, it's going to become important okay. later. Okay. It's called a spring house. It's a real thing. It is damp and cold. Like, that's what a spring house is for. Before refrigeration, you put things in a spring house. She also then makes a really awkward comment about who's chasing who about this couple. But it's supposed to be charming and that she has but, some sort of social awareness. But but she doesn't want them there. She doesn't like them. Why would she engage yeah, in conversation you're right. with them? You're right. She's weird for no reason. She's nice to them for no reason. It, it seems like a Southern hospitality thing where she feels obligated. But why are you carrying on a conversation like you're That's own? what I'm saying. Yes. Uh-huh. Then she hits the hand of Jess's Jess. hand as she reaches for something on the table. But then she gives her a cookie later. I'm like, I don't understand it all. And then later she'll accuse them of wanting to kill her in her sleep and steal I her I hear you because they're whispering. They're like, let's just stay the night here and then we'll leave. <laughs> and then when he goes out of the room, she's standing there in the hallway. And famously, famously. I hear you whispering, planning on stealing something. No, ma'am, we're not plan on murdering me in my sleep what no yeah it's, it's so like just perfect <laughs> there is no better there is no better way to do this scene than what we got <laughs> it's hilarious it's very odd there's some what? other weird things no. that we've also been skipping. <laughs> he goes to talk to her because it's the morning and they're like, okay, well, we got to go. Let's talk to her. And she doesn't respond and he opens up her room where he thought she would be. And it's not her lying in bed. It is a doll. And this is when she comes in and yells at him. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, the old lady. Yes. yes. But that old lady is going to go crazy. Yeah. She's going to go out into her garden and it's going to hit she's her. so angry. And which then she this gets is the hit. first time that it's been a single person all by themselves. It's starting to crest. Mm -hmm. And this is why Marky Mark is going to freak out, wondering where Jess and Alma are, and he's going to hear them through that tube to the spring house. Yeah. So uh, they're separated. And so it's like, oh no. It is a fun kind of moment where he like he hears them very clearly and he follows them to where he hears them. And it's just this empty room in in like a basement. And he's like, what the hell? And then he realizes the sound's coming from a pipe, which runs all the way to the spring house. And that's where they're just hanging out playing with the frogs in the water there. So Alma is gonna realize that this is the end, isn't it? Right? Yes. Uh-huh. So in order for Alma and Marky Mark to have their, like, sad moment, we just need to get Jess out of the frame. So basically, Alma is sitting there holding Jess, you know, uh -huh. talking about the fact that they're about to die. Yeah. It's the end of the world. And then she's just like, you know what, little girl, you're not good for this scene anymore. And she just leaves her yeah, there. Yeah, we need to have our one-on-one -on -one moment. And, like, she's having this this about this love relationship and it's like this little girl has uh -huh. just been Doesn't left to, to cry yeah. and is gonna uh -huh. die it's just it's 
ridiculous. I, I wrote down, this ending is way too dramatic for the rest of the movie. It could work in a different movie. It does not work here. It gets way too melodramatic and not in a fun way. He does do something which is really interesting. The conversation they have is about the mood ring, right? And about how they found out that purple, he said, his pickup line was that purple means that you're in love or whatever. And she's like, how cheesy was that? And um, he said, got to talk, got you to talk, didn't it? And it's really cute. This is how their relationship started. They're remembering that. It turned out that purple meant you were horny, <laughs> which is which is a fun little joke there. But ultimately, he's like, you know what? No, fuck this. I love you. If we are going to die, if this is the end, I am not dying anywhere else than with you. And she's like, no, you can't because you're exposing yourself. And he's like, well, it's the crest anyway, right? And he walks outside and then she goes to meet him. Not it's, only does, like, okay, so I thought he was going to, you know, he's risking himself. But they then decide they're going to meet in the middle. Then yeah. she decides, well, I'll risk myself too. But I'm also going to risk the life of the child. The little girl. Like, what? And the music is ridiculous. And the wind is picking up. And it's just so, well, so this is where dramatic. It is so super melodramatic. But this is where we get the payoff with the wind. The wind comes sweeping by and it sweeps over them. And you're like, well, if it's going to happen, this is when it's going to happen. And nothing happens. I wrote down, did we just learn that their love stopped it? (laughs) Yeah, right? It's kind of what it sounds like the movie's saying. Yes. Three months later. Schools are reopened. One thing I wrote down was, look, little girl, you're not good for this scene. And you weren't really acting anyway. So we're just going to take you out of the frame. Like I I was thinking, not a lot of this really asked of her. But like at the end here... She's like, she asks the kid something and she goes, yes, Aunt Alma, I love you. (laughs) Just flat as fucking hell. Yeah. Yes, Aunt Alma, I love you. (laughs) Oh, do you? That's how you communicate love? Got it. Are you okay? Yes, Aunt Alma, I love you. And of course, she's wearing an Avatar The Last Airbender backpack, which Shyamalan will famously go on to direct. Never saw it. It's probably for the best. (laughs) Alma finds out she's pregnant. Which is where we get this big close-up on her eyes. But she's very happy. But this is not the last thing that happens. No, the last thing that happens is we get a similar scene, but from the beginning. Remember I said it's bookended. But instead of the girl from Cabin in the Woods in Central Park with her friend, these are two Frenchmen walking through a park in France. And one's like, oh, I should drop my bike off at your place or whatever it is that he says. And they're having a conversation about their plans later in the day. And the guy says, I should drop the bike off at your place. You know, he's repeating the line over and over again until it's clear what's happening. It's happening in Paris, too. So it is bigger. The crest was not the end. It was the end for that location. But it's happening elsewhere, too. Yeah. uh Yep. End of movie. Mm hmm. Again, I wrote down, all things considered, I had an all right time. Well, yeah, it's like knowing how terrible it is, you just, you, it's supposed to, it's funny at that point. I laughed several times. Yeah. And I wrote down here, this is, I think, where we, deserve, we, where we diverge. I laughed several times, and I think the movie meant for me to. I think it meant for us to at certain lines, yes. but I don't think other lines they wanted us to laugh, mm-hmm. and I was definitely laughing. But... That said, it didn't go hard enough in the paint. Nope. When it really should have, the ending 
did not fit with the rest of the movie. It built to a crescendo that felt unnatural in relation to the rest of the film. Too melodramatic, but not in a humorous way. Should have been in black and white. Should have been more emotions. Should have been more people terrified and screaming. You know, with their hands and claw shapes up to their necks. Ah! You know, like, we should have had more moments like that. Should have been like the blob. Should have been like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what we should have gotten here. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. But I feel like that's what he was trying to do. And again, should have gone harder. Any other comments? Nope. All right, Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 20. Close, actually. 17%. There you go. The happening begins with promise, but unfortunately descends into an incoherent and unconvincing trifle. Metacritic of 34, a cinema score of a D, which is like the worst thing because it just doesn't, I I hate to say it doesn't stick the landing, right? But there's a lot of the ending that just doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. And that's the worst point to let down your audience. (laughs) You know, I mean, if you're going to get people to walk out of your movie in the beginning, they're not taking that survey, right? And if you can convince them that your movie is actually good by the end, then great, but the other direction, you're leaving people with a sour taste in their mouth. Mm-hmm. The ending is the worst part to fuck up. And when you've built your entire career on how incredible your endings are, like Shyamalan had at that point, I mean, it really should have stopped with Sixth Sense, his first movie. We have Sixth Sense where it's great. We have Unbreakable where, I mean, yeah, there is kind of a twist that... Spoiler alert, Mr. Glass is the villain. But that's not really a twist. I think it's very good. I think it's a twist. I like Unbreakable a lot, but I think the movie doesn't rely on the twist as much. And Signs shouldn't have had a twist at all. Yeah, it should have just been a straight should have been a straight alien, alien invasion. invasion. I think it would have worked great. Thought it was great. Generally like the movie. Same thing with the village. The village. Just take out the twist. You don't need the twist. It was a uh-huh. great story but about paranoia. But he felt like that's what people expected from him. Yeah. It's too bad. And so Lady in the Water was just fucking nonsense. I liked it because I like fairy tales, but I totally get why everybody has a problem yes. with it. And then we get this. Oof. And it's, again, like, he just needs to stop. And for the most part, he did. I think the next hey, movie. I liked the twist at the visit. I thought that's that what this I'm saying. was good. The next movie where I felt like there was a twist that you could say that was integral to the movie and followed the pacing of the film appropriately like it did back in sixth sense is the visit where the plot relies on this to happen. So many other things it really doesn't. Mm -hmm. This plot does. Now it's not as impactful as the one in the sixth sense, but it does exist and it exists for good reason. I really liked split, but that doesn't have a twist. It doesn't really. Yeah. So like, I feel like there, there was a sort of like, Shyamalan resurgence, right? Where he was coming back full force, not making bad movies anymore or whatever, right? I haven't seen old though, so I couldn't tell you. I want to see it. Yeah. All right, Kelsey. Do you think 17 Rotten Tomatoes, 34 Metacritic, and D Cinema Score is overrated or underrated? Well, I'm going to go with the 17%. I'm going to say that's underrated. Yes. I'm going to give it. A 30, because it did make me laugh quite a bit. Although, again, yeah. I don't know how intentional that was. I wouldn't go that low. 
You're not going to go that low. I'm not going to go that low. As a matter of fact, this will probably show up on our end of year splits. But it's not that I'm saying this is a good movie. I just think it's more okay than people give it credit for. I will say it is a 50. I think it's straight down the middle. I think there's a lot to really enjoy if you look at it from the right point of view. Yet it still fumbles the ball. As such, I think 50 fits. But that means it's a 20-point difference between you and I. So it will probably show up in our end-of-year splits. Well, that is Earth Day, folks. We have 1986's Little Shop of Horrors and 2008's The Happening. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is a double feature. Hooray. It's been a while since we've done a double feature. We're going to do The Stepford Wives. All right. We get, I mean, we just talked about Ferris Bueller. Isn't he the dude in the new Stepford Wives? Is he? I can't remember. I just know that it's, uh, what's her name? From the others? Nicole Kidman? Yeah. Yeah, Matthew Broderick, Christopher Walken, Bette Midler, Glenn Close. Oh, Roger Bart, who was also in The Producers. John Lovitz, Faith Hill. And a lot of people in that one. That's the newer one from 2004 and the original one from 1975. Yes. All right. That's next week. A Stepford Wives double feature. It's a place where a couple moves and all the wives seem too good to be true. Too perfect. Mm Mm-hmm. And the men do not seem perfect. No, the men seem perfectly content. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Well, anyway, that is next week. Until then, you can find us on our website, podcemetery.com, and on Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. Five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that is just sharing the show with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? You're not going to get away with this. Your kind never does. I don't care what it takes. Only one of us gets out of here alive. Yeah. This is Little, little Shop, shop, the prologue, yeah. Little Shop of Horrors, Little Shop, Little Shop of Terrors, watch them drop. Little Shop of Horrors, oh, 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 oh. It's... Daru. Cute name, catchy, nice plant, <laughs> big. The two people that Audrey is going to eat will have died some other way. Audrey too. Thank you. Don't take my daughter's hand unless you mean it. My firearm is my friend. It will not leave my side. If we're going to die, I want you to know something. I was in the pharmacy a while ago. There was a really good looking pharmacist behind the counter. Really good looking. I went up and asked her where the cough syrup was. I didn't even have a cough. I almost bought it.
I'm talking about a completely superfluous bottle of cough syrup, which costs like six bucks. I hear you whispering, planning on stealing something. No, ma'am, we're not. Plan on murdering me in my sleep? What? No. Yeah, <laughs> Is that what he says when he pulls the gun on him? Yeah, that's that's when uh, he starts to destroy. Yeah, uh-huh. cool. I just love your kind never does. 